I love the Ed Cash family, Scott, and thank you so much. You know how to rejoice. Before I bring the message, this is Veterans Day tomorrow, and I want to ask all the veterans, will you please stand up and let us thank you for serving this great country. All our veterans, please stand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for serving this great nation. Amen. Also, those of you who are here regularly remember, we started once a month broadcasting live to millions of homes in the Arabic-speaking world through Kingdom Sat. And my colleague and friend Farid Garas decided that we need to do that twice a month because the response has been phenomenal. And I thank God for that. So would you join me in welcoming all our viewing audience in the Middle East? Lord, I thank you for raising up this church 32 and a half years ago to be a platform to take the pure gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And I pray specifically for the millions of people who are watching right now. God, I pray that you'll meet each one of them because they are masses numbers for us, but they are individuals to you. Your servants who are in this building, each of them is known to you by name. Would you meet each of us today? We thank you for your promise, and you always keep your promises, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I personally doubt whether there's anybody here at the sound of my voice who knows and loves Jesus who has not experienced some time in their life. They have not gone through a season in their life uh, where they come to a point of distrusting in God's timing, distrusting in God's promises, and distrusting in, God, distrusting in God's provision and distrusting of God's protection. I doubt, and I know I am one. And at this point, at this time, the season of distrusting, you were tempted to take things into your hands, and you made a mess of it. In my case, I made a big mess. I know that. But thank God the story does not end here. Thank God that is not the end of the story. I think most of us would testify to the fact that our gracious Heavenly Father, out of sheer grace, picks up all the broken pieces and creates a masterpiece. Beloved, I have learned through the years, I've been walking with the Lord for over 52 years, and if I've learned anything, it would be this. Whenever I try to short-circuit God's plans in my life, whenever I try to short-circuit God's purpose for my life, whenever I try to short-circuit God's vision for my life, 
I go through unnecessary pain, unnecessary suffering, and discontentment. Short-circuiting and shortcuts never works for me, and I know they don't work for you either. A few years ago, Time magazine, I don't even know if this exists or not, but you know, all these are like uh, magazines gone with the dinosaurs. But I remember back in the days of Noah when there was a Time magazine. Uh, it carried one of the issues, it carried a story many years ago about a brilliant young Harvard student. I mean, a bright student. But in order to apply for a fellowship, he decided to forge uh, letters of recommendation for that fellowship, which was totally unnecessary. He could have earned it by his, just by his own uh, abilities, uh, by his own qualifications. But that short-circuiting of the system was discovered and investigated, and it was found guilty, and he had to leave the university in disgrace. Abraham, in a momentary, momentary distrust in the provision of God, goes down to Egypt, and he creates a mess for himself and for his family until the grace of God overruled. Moses, in a momentary, not trusting in God's timing, which led to him languishing in the land of Midian for 40 years until the grace of God overruled and brought him back. Short-circuiting God's plan can take you far, far, far away from your home in Christ. But thank God that His grace always always, how many times? Always, always calling you to come home. Always calling you to come home. In the book of Ruth, you find a reminder of the incredible, indescribable, unfathomable grace of God. You see a reminder of how His grace overruled the foolish decisions to take matters into their own hand. And I'm beginning the short series today. I hope you're not going to miss any of it. This is a story of a nice Jewish family who lived during the wild days of the book of Judges. In case you don't know about the book of Judges and the time of the Judges, I want to tell you a few things about that. It was a period of time after Joshua died, who is the successor of Moses, and before the coming of the prophet Samuel and the ushering of the period of the kings, those were terrible days for God's people. They were days not unlike our days. Those were the days of which the Bible says everyone was doing what is right in their own eyes. Those were days when their faith in Yahweh gave way to the religion of tolerance. There were days of moral relativism, uh, where that moral relativism invaded their campuses. Those were the days of denial of biblical morality, even in the church. Those were the days of tolerance of sexual deviation, uh, which was protected by the Supreme Court. Even good people shrugged their shoulders and said, what can I do? 
what can I do? Consequently, they got themselves into trouble again and again and again. Let me tell you something. I go through the Bible every year. When I come to the book of Judges, I just pray for double extra strength from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> because you read over and over again how many times they got themselves into trouble. And then they will cry to God. And every time, God would send them a deliverer whom they called the judge. But as soon as their trouble was over, as soon as danger is gone, as soon as they begin to experience peace and prosperity again, they turn their backs on Yahweh and turn to the gods, fertility gods of Canaan. In the midst of this wholesale departure from biblical truth, we read about this family, a family that tried to short-circuit their way into prosperity in times of trouble. But alas, they ended up in the dead-end road of tragedy, sorrow, and pain. But again, bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This story is not the end. This part is not the end of the story. You will see the amazing grace of God overrules and overrides even our foolish decisions and the shortcuts and the short-circuiting. You will see how the grace of God brings good out of evil. You'll see how the grace of God brings joy out of bitterness and sorrow. You will see by the end of this short series of messages how the grace of God can bring out of pain, grief, and sorrow, the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that by now you all have the book of Ruth, chapter 1, open in front of you. This family name was Eli Malik. Eli, Eli, Lima Shabaktani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Remember that on the cross? That's the name of God, Eli. Malik, king. God is my king. That's the name of this family. God is my king. And yet, alas, they did not live up to this name. This family thought uh, that they were buying their ticket into prosperity. They're buying their ticket into paradise, <laughs> but they ended up in the graveyards of Moab. Now, beloved, short-circuiting of your trust in God's provision, listen to me, listen to me, I'm pleading with you, short-circuiting of your trust in God's provision always, always leads to a disaster. Now, here are some truths that you need to know. If you think that you can become a discerning believer without spending time with the Word of God and in the Word of God, please think again. If you think that you can be a godly man or a godly woman without intimacy with God on a daily basis, please think again. If you think that you can make good and wise decisions for your life without obedience to the Word of God, I'm begging you, think again. If you think that you can substitute your success at any cost with integrity and character, please think again. 
If you think that you can get away with consuming all of God's blessings or yourself and expecting God to keep on blessing you without sharing with His work, I want you to think again. If you uh, do not trust God with your tithe and with your offerings and expecting uh, God continuous blessings, I am pleading with you, think again. Think again. The book of Ruth is a magnificent little book. In fact, I can tell you of the Old Testament books, it's my favorite. I love the book of Ruth. And you love the fact that it was not called the book of Naomi? It was named after a Gentile woman, Ruth. I'm going to explain this as we unfold this series of messages together. It's an amazing grace of God because it teaches us a great deal about how God cares for an ordinary believer. It teaches us that our extraordinary God can do great and extraordinary things with an ordinary believer. Now, I want to share three things with you. I try not to get carried away, so I'll get back to my notes. Uh, Three things I want to share with you from chapter 1. Three things. Write them down if you're taking notes. Whenever you short-circuit or you try to short-circuit God's plan or God's will for your life, there is an initial comfort in that process. There's an initial comfort. I'm going to come to this. Uh, Secondly, uh, there is an inevitable consequences to short-circuiting God's plan for your life. Thirdly, there is an indisputable cure. Now, those of you bright people, and I know most of you are, who are taking notes and looking at this, and you got it. You say, oh, this is inevitable consequences, indisputable uh, uh, initial comfort, inevitable consequences, and indisputable cure. We got them right up here so you can see them. Now, I hope you're impressed, because I am. (laughs) I had to work hard on these. (laughs) Truthfully, (laughs) I'm not kidding. I do the exegesis, the the expounding of the Scripture, then I start saying, what, how can I do this in such a way that you remember it, that it doesn't disappear after lunch this afternoon, that you stay with it for the week? So I come up with these kind of gimmicks, okay? That's what they are. They're just gimmicks, okay? But you see, initial comfort inevitable consequences, and indisputable cure. Now, if you like that, say amen. Amen. (laughs) Listen, there is a euphoria. There is an initial comfort in getting away from the will of God and doing your thing. I'm not going to deny that. Elimelech's family thought that the grass was greener on the other side of the septic tank. Hello. So they left the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. Beth, house, lachem in Hebrew. Bread, the house of bread. They left the house of bread and went to Moab. Why? Why? Because they ran out of food. And when they ran out of food in Bethlehem, they looked for solutions outside of God's promises, outside They looked for solutions outside of God's people. They looked for solutions outside of the land of promise. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. How you act and what you do 
when you are facing crisis situation in your life says a great deal about your spiritual discernment. Elimelech did not take the family into another part of the promised land. That would have been fine, because this is the land of promise. God promised it to Abraham. God promised it to Abraham's descendants. They could have gone to another part of the land of promise, but they didn't. Uh, They went to enemy's territory. (laughs) They went to the pagans. Let me tell you about Moab. I'm going to ask him to put the… My my colleagues really do a great job with these things. See Bethlehem? Moab is today in modern Jordan. I've been on both sides of the Dead Sea. (laughs) I've seen them from both sides. You see, it's not very far, really. Depending on how you travel, it's 10 miles. That's all it is. It's a short trip. Not too far geographically, but listen to me. Spiritually, it's the other side of the world. On a clear day, you could stand and see the fields of Moab from the ridges of Bethlehem. I've done it. Oh, these green fields of Moab were beckoning dear old Elimelech and his family. Day after day, day after day, he looks on the other side and sees the green land, and he says, this is where I should go. Uh, These bright green lands were inviting him. Beloved, would you listen to me? Put up with this 71-year-old man. Would you put up with me and listen to me very carefully? When things are not going well at home, the allure of adultery and unfaithfulness to your marriage always beckoning. Am I telling the truth? When that situation kept on going on for a while, Elimelech, Elimelech could not resist the temptation anymore. He just couldn't resist. So he packed the family camel wagon, and they headed for Moab. Question, why not wait for the Lord? Why not trust God to provide? You read in the book of Deuteronomy, and all the promises of God that He gave to Moses, all the promises of God that were to to, to Israel, uh, why not keep on trusting in the promises of God? that He never leave you nor forsake you. Why do you have to go into enemy's territory? Why not believe the promises of God given to Israel through Moses? Here's another question. What's wrong with Moab? Yeah, one city as good as the other. One town is as good as the other. It doesn't matter. Yahweh is everywhere. What's wrong with Moab? <laughs> You see, everyone was thinking about Moab. Eli did it. He just went over there. He didn't just think about it. He did it. But what's wrong with Moab? Well, the people of Moab had no moral compass. Everything goes in Moab. There was no preacher to rebuke people that they're going the wrong way and need to come back. As long as they don't forget about Yahweh and remember Him on occasions or in the high and holy days, they will be all right. As long as they think that they're good people, uh, that belong to the people of God, doesn't matter where they are, they'll be okay. Uh, As long as there is mutual consent, it's okay. No. 
If I want to say to him, I really do. I said, my Abimelech, my boy, my son, my, my man, God through Moses said that he blesses obedience. Read the book of Deuteronomy. He would say to me, oh, Michael, Michael, you don't understand. We don't call it disobedience anymore. We call it go with the flow. Hello. Oh, Michael, you don't understand. This is the direction the whole culture is going. You don't understand. This cold times have changed. I'll never forget to the day I die, to the day I die, back in 1991, when I was brought before a denominational tribunal, my guilt, I'm preaching the Word of God. My sin, I said the Bible is the inspired fallible Word of God. My sin is that there is no way to heaven except through Jesus. So I was brought before the tribunal. And I want to tell you something. Listen to me. One of the bishops who genuinely, I can tell you, I can tell from his genuine face looking at me, he genuinely liked me, and he genuinely meant what he said when he looked at me. And he said, Michael, I really feel sorry for you. You haven't, like a student who enrolled in college, and the curriculum has changed and you're still operating in the old curriculum. I said to him, thank you, Bishop. My curriculum is the inspired, infallible Word of God, and it's never changing. A few days later, I was defrocked. And on a badge, I gladly wear in the past nearly 30 years. Don't ever forget, don't forget the days of judges, even the faithful believers, even the faithful believers felt that they're caught between obeying God on the one hand and trusting in the fertility gods of Canaan on the other. Today, people can pack the pews, pack the churches when there is a national crisis, but as soon as the crisis is over, they go back to Baal worship. Elimelech and his wife and two boys were just beginning to get comfortable in the land of Moab. Remember, there is what? Initial comfort. Remember that. When you short-circuit the will of God and the Word of God, there is initial comfort. Initial comfort. Can you say that with me? Initial comfort. Oh, in their newfound prosperity in Moab, we're just beginning. Things are really going to get good for me here. And just as they were enjoying their new life of prosperity in Moab, tragedy struck. Remember, short-circuiting God's plan has an initial comfort. The Bible said sin is pleasurable for a moment. See, the Bible doesn't deny that. They're for a moment. But the consequences are the consequences. And that's what I come to secondly here, the inevitable consequences. Please hear me right. Any comfort outside of the will of God for your life has deadly 
consequences. I know it. I've experienced it. I tried to run away from God as far as I could. Any comfort from the shadow and the shelter of the Almighty has disastrous results. And so verse 3, 4, and 5, look at me, look at them with me, please. There is an immediate consequence, and then there is a long-term consequence. And here what I know from the Word of God I'm from my own failures. Here's what I know. These consequences come as a surprise to a sinning believer. They really do. Whoa, what happened? What happened? What happened to me? Why is this happening to me, Lord? Where are you, God? He's never moved. Did you know that? You moved. He didn't. Dear old Naomi, now she's a widow. She's widowed. And so when she was widowed, she placed her hope in her two sons. They'll provide for her. But the two boys were even more comfortable in the land of Moab than their father was because they married two pagan girls. Will you put up with me just for a little bit more? The Bible in the Old Testament is very clear not to marry a non-Jewish person. The New Testament is even clearer. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And so short-circuiting God's plan and God's purpose not only has an initial comfort, but also has inevitable consequences. Oh, don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Please don't miss what I'm going to tell you. That initial comfort away from God's people and God's territory and God's Word, don't miss this. And don't miss how long they've been in that situation. When they had a bad crop, they probably said to themselves, we just go there for a short period of time, maybe a year, and then we come back. But the Bible said they were there for how many years? Ten years. Sure, God is so patient. He is very, very patient. Some of you heard me say this before. There are times when I see evil, when I see wickedness, and I get so angered, and, 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 and really, that's why I stop watching the news. But I, I, I say, God, why don't you suck it to them? Why are you so patient? And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, Michael, I've been patient with you. That's called gentle rebuke. Verse 4, they were there for 10 years. God waited and waited. Then he waited some more. Listen to me. He may be waiting for you. He may be waiting for you. And you are here by divine appointment because God wants to say, I'm not going to wait forever. You are in your own Moab, whatever your Moab is, and it's different for every one of us. You might be comfortable in Moab now. 
You might have thought that God had forgotten where you are spiritually now, but He hasn't. He doesn't. He loves you too much. He loves you too much to leave you in your Moab. Let me ask you this. What is your Moab? What is your Moab? Your Moab could be a relationship that is not honoring to the Lord. Your Moab could be a friendship that is dragging you down spiritually. Your Moab may be a distrust in God's promises. Your Moab may be your placing of your feelings, your ideas, and your thinking, and your emotions above what God said. Your Moab may be unfaithfulness with God's blessings. Your Moab may be a complete self-absorption. Whatever your Moab may be, you can come home to Jesus. You can come home to Jesus. Can you say that with me? You can come home to Jesus, and you can do it today. You can do it today. God's patience with you is His way of wooing you and wooing you and wooing you to come back. Come back. Come back from your spiritual Moab. Let me tell you a couple of things about spiritual Moabs, just in case you don't know. Figuratively speaking, Moab has a way of making a short stay to be a long-term one. Figuratively speaking, Moab has a way of saying to you, do it just this once. And once it's over, you don't have to do it again. And then before you know it, you are in Moab's clutches. Figuratively speaking, Moab has a way of saying, there's plenty of time to live holy and pure life. There's plenty of time only to discover that time has gone. Here in Moab, after 10 years, Elimelech, Naomi, and their two boys intended to go to Moab for a short period of time, just for that one bad crop year. But they found themselves entrenched in Moab. You know, it's something that was the Bible said, in, particularly in, in, um, in, uh, in Peter, about Lot. The Bible said Lot was vexed. That's a beautiful English word. He was torn apart between the godliness of his uncle Abraham that he wanted to be and between the lifestyle of Sodomites. As a matter of fact, if you read carefully in the book of Genesis, you read first that Lot came close to Sodom. And the next part you read that he was now moved into the gates, outside the gates of Sodom. And then the last time you hear about him, he is inside Sodom. Don't undermine the devil's deception. The one thing I'm learning as I'm studying the book of Job is that what the devil wanted to do is he wanted to destroy him. Thank God the grace of God overruled there too. We get out of the will of God just for a little bit, 
just for a little short time, until I get this deal done, until I get this thing taken care of, take it from me. You will stay much longer than you intended to stay. Verse 5, after the father died, in rapid succession, both boys die. Now, try to put yourself in Naomi's place. I really do. I try. Now, ladies, listen to me. I, 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 as you know, I'm in touch with my feminine side, as, as the psychologists call it. <laughs> I've never been away from it. <laughs> I think I have more of it than you realize. <laughs> but I, I'm very careful not to preach uh, I'm hard on the men than I'm on the la- And I'm not going to be hard because I want to show you something. Ladies, listen to me. She comes into this utopia with her husband and two sons. But she loses all of them. All of them. There is no support for her. Back then, as you heard me say many times, widows who have no male members to support them, were really worse than being destitute. And here you find Naomi in a strange place, a stranger. And she felt it for the first time, now that her support base gone, in a strange country. The first thing, there is what? Initial, there is inevitable, but praise God, say praise God. Praise God, there is the third. There's indisputable cure. Indisputable. Indisputable. And those of us who have experienced it can testify to you. Indisputable cure. Do you know what the cure is? Honestly, there are only two words. All the mumbo jumbos and all the big theological terms and everything else is fine. But I'm a simple guy. Two words, the indisputable cure. Go home. Say it with me. I know people say you can't go home again. Well, in the physical sense, yes, having departed from two homes, two countries, that's possibly you can't go home again. But spiritually, it's the only way. Home is your only place to go. It's the only cure to your soul. It's the only spiritual healing that you're going to receive. It's the only way to happiness and joy and peace. Come home. Come home. Naomi was not just at the bottom of the barrel. The barrel actually crashed on her <laughs> and with an overwhelming force. In her experience of bitterness, she wanted to go home. Look at verses 8 and 9. She asked both of her daughters-in-law to go back to their homes and find other husbands. Those of you worried, I don't have a cold. When I start crying and get emotional, I just my nose start running. So I just want you to know that. <laughs> One of them decided to just do that. Oh, but Ruth, (laughs) beautiful Ruth, lovely Ruth, loyal Ruth, would not leave her mother-in-law. Ladies, I need to explain this 
It's, it's a very personal thing. It's my opinion, so take it or leave it. Do whatever you want with it. I, for one, never, never condemned Naomi for feeling bitter. Never. 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 In fact, I admire her candor. We need to be real with God, folks. Are you listening to me? We need to be real with God. Stop putting on that Christian mask. Be real with God. He already knows what you're going through. I often say, I'm, thank God nobody's around me when I'm alone with God. <laughs> because, man, I let everything hang. <laughs> but here's a piece of advice. Before you place the blame on God, find out, find out if you had a hand in what happened. Are you with me? I know, I know, I know that some things happened to us. We had nothing to do with what we did or did not do. It has nothing to do with us, really. Many things happened out of, totally out of our control. But there are times when things happen as a natural consequence of something we've done. It may be something happened years ago, and you may have even forgotten about it. But then years later, it raises its ugly head. You know, Ed Cash and I were talking this week. We were just talking about the grace of God, stuff that he's been through, stuff that I've been through, and we're praising God on the phone, talking about the wonderful grace of God. But then we both concluded that sometimes the scars stay for a long time. But Ruth made an ironclad commitment to Naomi and to Naomi's God. Beloved, listen to me. God honors those who keep their word and keep their commitments. And the truth is this. Naomi's faith was such that it made an impact, uh, made her faith attractive to Ruth. Naomi's testimony and her truthfulness led her daughter-in-law into wanting to follow Naomi's God. Ruth saw God, Naomi's God to be a loving God, to be a forgiving God, to be a restoring God, to be the God of new beginnings, to be the God of second and a hundred and a thousand chances. Can I get an amen? amen. Although Naomi, whose name means pleasant, if your name is Naomi, now you, this is a freebie on the house. <laughs> your name means pleasant. That's what Naomi means in Hebrew. But then she said, don't call me Naomi anymore because I'm not pleasant. I'm a Mara. Mara, from, remember when the kings came from the east and brought three gifts to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, bitter. And that was to predict his cross, bitter. And the word Mara, it's the same in all three Semitic languages, Arabic, Aramaic, and Hebrew, bitter. Naomi was in pain. But she did not stop caring. Verse 9, 
She prayed for her daughters-in-law. She might have been coming home without a husband, without two sons, but she was coming home with a faithful daughter-in-law. And in verses 19 to 22, mark it in your Bible. You see, the two women make the only decision that pleases God. Let me tell you something. You might not be sure if your decision is pleasing God or not. There's one decision you can make that I promise you on the authority of God's Word that pleases God. Come home. Say it with me again. And so, they come home, and we're going to see the unfolding of how God honored that decision of coming home. I want to conclude by telling you this true story. Some of you, not many of you, but some of you remember the name Dr. E.V. Hill. <laughs> yes, thank you. God, praise God. Some of you are old, enough, old, old like me. <laughs> Dr. E.V. Hill had a wonderful ministry. He was a great preacher of God's Word. He had a ministry in Watts in Los Angeles to the downtrodden, to the really the, the people in, in, in the bottom of the barrel, as it were. He had a great ministry, and God blessed him richly. He was a, 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 a dear friend. In fact, he's the one who taught me to tell the congregation where amen belongs. <laughs> when he found out I was starting a church in Atlanta, he said, well, you're probably going to be, um, you're going to have a church filled with white lilies. <laughs> he said, in the black congregations, we know where amen belongs, but in the white churches, they don't. So tell them where amen belongs. <laughs> so that's how I tell you where amen belongs. He was truly a wonderful man of God, served God so faithfully, and he told this story about a mother in New Jersey, found herself alone when her husband walked out on her with a rebellious daughter. Finally, when the daughter, when she became old enough, she packed her bags and left home. For weeks and months, the mother prayed and searched for her daughter to no avail. For months, she knew nothing about where, whereabouts of her daughter. She called friends, she called relatives, but no one would tell her where her daughter was. And one day, a family member felt sorry for her, and he told her, he said, your daughter is in London, England, living as a prostitute. She sold all that she could sell, got a ticket, traveled to London, England with a picture of her daughter, and went from pub to pub to pub, showing the picture to the bartenders. Have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl? And finally, a bartender in one of those pubs said to her, she said, wait a minute. I see her coming here occasionally. She doesn't come regularly, but I see her coming on occasions. And the woman said, good enough. She goes to the poster board in the back of the pub, and she pins that picture of her daughter with the caption underneath, come home. Come home. A few weeks later, 
the daughter comes into that pub, half drunk, bloodshot eyes. And she looks up and she sees her own picture. She recognizes her own picture. And, and she kept saying, who, who brought this here? Who brought this picture here? Where did this picture come from? And then she peered into the caption and said, come home. And she realized when the bartender told her there was a woman who came here looking for you the other day, she kept asking if anybody has seen you. She realized that was his mama. Her mama spent all her fortune to get out on a plane and go to London looking for her wayward daughter. She sat there and she sobbed until she could cry no more. gathered her belonging, and she came home to her mama. Now, beloved, please listen to me. I'm about to finish. Jesus, the Son of God, came all the way from heaven for you, and you, and you, and you, and you. God's Son shed His blood on that cross for you. Wherever you are, Whatever you've done, however long you've been away, Jesus is saying to you, come home. Say it with me. Come home. Come home. Come home. His arms open on that cross is an indication of his longing for you to come home. And as we pray, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm not going to prolong this. This is not going to be a long thing. But in the next 60 seconds, if you're a person who say, yes, I wandered away from home. I want to come home again. Just stand up where you are. Every eye is closed. Every head is bowed. Just stand up where you are, and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. And they say, Lord Jesus, I've wandered away from the fold. I have been attracted by the world's attractions, and I thought, there's going to find initial comfort, but then I'm facing the consequence. Whatever you are, wherever you are, regardless of your age, whether it be young or old, you can say, Lord, I am coming home. Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus, you from heaven look down and see every person who's standing here. It is between you and them. Lord, they know where their Moab was or is, and Lord, I thank you that you have given them the courage and that they are not ashamed of the gospel. They're able to stand up and say, I'm coming home. And I thank you, I thank you, I thank you that you keep that promise. Welcome home. Welcome home. Stand up and give God praise. Stand up and give God praise.